Hello, friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. It is the 17th day of December. I want to remind you that I'm in Chapin, South Carolina tonight. I'm in Flowery Branch, Georgia, Sunday afternoon. Chapin starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. Flowery Branch starts at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. We would love to have you if you are in the area for either of those. Uh, I also will be in Poplar Bluff, Missouri next Sunday, the Sunday following Christmas. Well, we have arrived at the midpoint of the 16th chapter of Genesis, and it is a Friday. And there's a few things that have sort of come together at the right time for us. One, we are in the middle of the Hagar story, where Hagar has just conceived Ishmael. Sarah is now ready to remove her from their presence. In fact, verse 6, Abram said to Sarah, your maid's in your hand, do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly and she fled from her presence. And that will then, the story then follows Hagar into the wilderness. Now that meets up with the fact that it's Friday. And on Friday, from time to time, we do long form Friday, which means it's not unusual for us to throw a 20 or 30 minutes or even an hour at you here on a Friday. And when you consider the fact that in August of this year, on a Friday night in Chapin, South Carolina, which was four months ago, our, we meet every month there with them. In August, I did a sermon titled, He Sees You. We posted that sermon in late August or early September of this year, so many of you have already heard it, but I, I'm not going to air the entire sermon for you. What I want to do is I want to go back to about the midpoint of that message which would find us around the 7th or 8th verse of Genesis. And I want to just put a few minutes in that deals with this Hagar story because what moved me so much in August was the fact that God sees you when no one else sees you. Hagar's about to have a revelation of that. So I thought we would let Long Form Friday carry us through the Hagar story and then tomorrow... We could give our update on what's coming up Sunday, and we could start the 17th chapter. So without further ado, let me jump in. I'm going to take you to about the midway point of the sermon. And if you want to hear the entire thing, it's available by its title. Just go search for it on whatever audio site you're listening to, or search for it at our YouTube channel, PWM, where audio and video are also available. So this deals with Genesis chapter 16 and Hagar's journey into the wilderness, corresponding with where we are in our journey. Happens to fall on a Friday, happens to fall on the day we're in Chapin. Just right. Here is the clip from He Sees You. think about this. I don't know that it's about figuring out how to get out of the wilderness. I think it's about having a revelation while you're in the wilderness. I think it's learning to find him while you're there, however you possibly can. Let's read on because that's what's going to happen to Hagar. Verse 8, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. This is worth noting, folks. Up until this point in the story, the only way you knew Hagar's name is because the narrator told you. You didn't hear Abram say it, and you didn't hear Sarah say it. 
because she wasn't worth calling by name. She wasn't an equal. But when God showed up in the wilderness, the first words out of his mouth are Hagar. You know, there is nothing like hearing the sound of your own name from somebody that you respect or that you love or that you hope to love to think they know my name. You imagine God Almighty walking into the room and looking you in the eye and saying your name. You go, how does he know? How does he know my name? You imagine Hagar, all this junk that just happened to Hagar, no one bothered to say her name. But when God comes to meet her in the middle of the wilderness, he knows her. And I want to guarantee you, you are well known to our father. I, I don't care what it is that you bring into your wilderness. I don't care why you're in that wilderness. You are well known to the father. He greets you by name. He honors you by name and then asks you questions, and you have one responsibility in the middle of that wilderness, and it's to always be answering those questions. Where did I come from, and where do I hope to go? It helps if I could figure out how I got here. It helps if I could figure out where I hope to go out of here. You don't have to figure that out the day you get in there. You don't have to figure that out quickly, but you do have to wrestle with where have I come from, why am I here Where am I going? I've I've been very intrigued by the questions the Bible poses. And I don't know how I missed this. I've I've literally been in in church for 44 and a half years. (laughs) Now, give me a few years there where I didn't know how to read, all right? Because I was just a really little kid. But once I learned how to read, I was always reading some kind of children's Bible, some kind of Bible. I was in Sunday school and... VBS and church and revival services. And so the Bible was like a, it was a real central figure in our, in my life. It was a, it was a, a piece of the, of the puzzle. If, if you were to write the story of my life, there's no way you could write it without the literal Bible, the physical presence of that scripture. And I, I, I never caught the theme until I was in my forties that whenever you read through the Bible, you always find the heroes being questioned by angels and by God and by the people they wrong and by the people around them that want it. I never caught how much the Bible asks questions. I'm, I'm working on Jonah, and I'm working on what will probably be my next book on Jonah, and I just can't get past the fact that it's the only book of the Bible that ends with a question mark. Because here's God at the end of the book going, shouldn't I love these people? And you end with this question hanging in the air and no one answers it. And it doesn't get answered because it's not supposed to be answered in that book. It's supposed to be answered by you and by me. And I, I can't land on my feet. As I've been studying Jonah, I haven't been able to find good ground under that question. Shouldn't I love them? And I... I want to say yes, and, and here I'll show you how, but, but I keep finding myself incapable of putting into words what it would look like to love those unlovable Ninevites and the people that disagree with me and don't look like me and don't act like me and don't talk like me, and I can't figure out 
how I'm supposed to treat them in, in light of how he's treated me. Oh, I get the theology of it. I know the Bible answer, but that's not good enough. There's a question hanging out there that goes, no, don't give me the Sunday school answer. Give me the Paul White answer. And, and you got to look deep inside yourself and keep that question mark hanging there. And so I see Hagar being asked, where'd you come from and where do you go? And, and I realize that I'm having to ask myself that question and that we need to ask ourselves that question and keep stirring that over where have I come from? And hopefully you know where you've come from and hopefully it's a great testimony and you go, I can tell you exactly where I come from and here's what God did and here's how, here's a revelation I had of Jesus and here's what I went through and that's when looking back becomes very valuable but it will also be a tough one to answer when you took a turn maybe you shouldn't have taken and you end up in a place you shouldn't be and you'll say, how'd I get here? And if you've learned how to be honest with the questions, then you'll be honest with that one too and God help you when you do. And the good news is God will. Or maybe where are you going? It's a good one to at least be stirring around. And go, I don't have all the answers for tomorrow, but here's a good goal to shoot for. Here's a place I'm heading. Here's something I want to accomplish. And if I'm honest with myself, I'll make the decisions that help me to get to that place. Practical stuff. That's why, that's why our Jewish friends were and remain enamored of the Torah. Because the stories held these practical arguments, things worth looking at that are so applicable to where we are. And Hagar's story is no exception to that. So answer the questions. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And, and, and I'm going to be really honest with you. I wrestle with verse 9. I, I struggle with the fact that the angel tells her to go back because I want... I want a real liberation theology right here. I want God to say to her, you've escaped. Congratulations. I've got you. But he doesn't. He says, go back and submit. And I've wrestled with what that means and what that looks like. And I don't, I don't want to give away yet quite where I've landed because my landing spot's where we'll close. Because I think there's a little something more for Hagar to learn, and I don't think she can learn it. In the culture she's in, I don't think she can learn it any other way but going back to where she was from. I don't think the message the Bible is sending is, is the only way out of the wilderness is to turn around and go back to the place you came in. Um, although I do think sometimes that's the case too. That sometimes you have to go in there and find what you need to find and take it out with you. Maybe it's like Jesus going into that wilderness. So understanding that Hagar is wrestling something, we're wrestling something. Watch this in her story. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And this, this might be worth writing in your margin somewhere or just taking a digital note of if that's the way you take notes, man, because this is something you'll want if your Bible doesn't have a, maybe a center column reference or whatever. But the word Ishmael is Hebrew for God hears. All right? So what she's being told is you're going to have a son and every time you say his name, what you're going to be saying out loud when you say Ishmael is God hears me. So Ishmael will be a representation to you that I heard you. And when did I hear you? I heard you in the middle of the worst wilderness you could ever go through. I heard you in the middle of your darkest hour, your most depressed moment, your most lonely, your most hurt moment. I heard you. God hears Ishmael. 
He shall be a wild man. The Hebrew there is. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. You can read into that whatever you want. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. This is the first woman in the Bible that gives God a name. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? She literally names him El-Roi, E-L-R-O-I, transliterated into English. I really want it to be Elroy because it just seems like it would be great, wouldn't it? In my mind, when I read it, I go, she calls God Elroy. It's literally pronounced El-Roi, but it's in the English, you are the God who sees Now, I want you to notice that she's to name her son Ishmael. God hears me. But when she names God, she names him El-Roi, the God who sees me. What revelation has she just had in the middle of her wilderness? God hears me. God sees me. I think it happened the second she heard God say her name. Abram never, wouldn't say her name. Sarah didn't say her name. God said her name. Abram and Sarah don't chase her into the wilderness. God chases her into the wilderness. Nobody back in the tent listened to her objections or her ideas. God listens to her objections and her ideas and carries on a conversation with her. God knows your name. God hears you. God sees you. Whatever it is your outcry is, whatever you're crying out about, nobody's listening to me. God's listening to me. Nobody sees me, God sees me. It's why we must, as a church, pay attention to the voices in the world that keep telling us no one's listening to me. No one's listening to me. No one's listening to me. And we go, oh, we're sick of hearing it. We're sick of hearing about how no one's listening to you. God's not sick of hearing how no one's listening to you. In fact, he's listening to you. Whatever the need is that people are bringing, it's why... When the church of Jesus Christ moves into the place where we're ready to help those who are in the wilderness, because it's easy to go, you know, well, we just want lost people to come in here and get saved. We just want people to come meet the Lord. And what we're really saying a lot of times is, is we really want them to come on our terms to our church service and sit down and be really quiet and listen to our music and our sermons. And then at the end, come up and make the commitment that we made. And then they'll go out and change the stuff that we don't like about them. And then we can call them part of our family. And it doesn't get to work that way. We're the called out ones and we are a collection of people who have various backgrounds, multicolored backgrounds, baggage, and we're not pushing all that off in the closet and hiding it when people come in. It's supposed to be out in the visibility. Look, here's what our problem is. Here's our need. You might have some needs as well. Let us help you with those needs. Let us pick that burden up for a little while. Let me listen to you. I had someone say to me recently, I I just want to love people. I just really want people to understand God's love. And I heard the Spirit, and it was because I was wrestling this message, but I heard the Spirit shout to me to say to them, and I did, don't say you want to love people if you won't listen to them and you won't see them because you can tell people you love them all day, but really loving them is listening to what they have to say and watching for what hurts them. 
and then doing everything in your power to alleviate or ameliorate the condition of your neighbor. God sees. God hears. You know why Hagar's story is so beautiful? Because she's beaten down to the point that you can't really get any lower. And she wanders off into a wilderness, representative of whatever wilderness we go into. And when she gets there, she has an encounter with a God who calls her by name, gives her a child, and whom forever she gets to refer to as the one who sees and hears me. And that's the revelation that it takes for Hagar to turn around and go do what she has to do. And what she has to do is bring that child to term. It's important that he live. He's part of what will bless the families of the earth. And so she goes back and she has that child. Now, if we displace Hagar and put her in the middle of a cosmic religious battle, we're forced with the question of why did God chase her in the wilderness at all? Why didn't he just let her die out there? Because, boy, wouldn't we be a whole lot better off if we didn't have to deal with the multitudes of religious family trees that are fighting in the world today. Now, if you land there, I'm not, I'm not cutting it down. I'm the one that brought it up. It's because I've wrestled that out as well. As I go, why chase her down at all? Let her and the, what Paul calls the son of the flesh die. <laughs> Maybe if you don't chase her down and reveal yourself to her, she'll just wander off into the wilderness and we won't ever have to deal with her and Ishmael. And if we say that, it's evidence that we don't realize that when God is love, God sees and God hears and God calls by name. The very definition when we say God is love, we go, what, what's that mean? God is love. That's a big phrase. That's the New Testament version of God, by the way. 1 John 4.10, God is love. How do we define that? And we'll try, and we end up at the cross, and that's a good place to start. I said it's a good place to start. It's not a good place to end. We, we always end there, but it's, it's a good place to start. God so loved the world. But we got a whole corpus of Scripture that shows us that God is love means he chases what we would consider unlovable people into unlovable and uninhabitable wildernesses, and he sees them, and he hears them, and he spends the time listening. And that's quite a command. Therefore the well, verse 14, was called Ber Lehe Roi, observe. It is between Kadesh and Bered. Ber Lehe Roi means I have seen the Lord, that has seen me. Listen to that. <laughs> I have seen the Lord that has seen me. Now, let's follow Hagar's progressive revelation, shall we? Pressed down, abused in every possible manner, she wanders out into the wilderness, completely devoid of friends and family and relatives and hope, and she's about to die. And the God of eternity shows up and calls her by name, Hagar, asks her a couple of questions. She does the best she can to answer them. And then God blesses her with a son whose name means he hears. And then she names God, he sees. And then she finds a well and renames it, 
I am the one who sees the God who sees me. Hagar responds to the love of God. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're hoping for in every person we ever hope God talks to or shows himself to or speaks to is that they reciprocate with, I see the God that sees me. And I think if you can learn nothing else in your wilderness, learn to see the God who sees you. I can see God in the middle of this. I can see him loving me. I can't see a way out. I can't figure out how I got in here. But I see the God who sees me, and I'll never again believe that he doesn't see me and that he doesn't hear me. Now, where does this go? <laughs> this, is, this brings up the question again is why doesn't God just abandon this? And it also kind of helps wrestle out what I struggle with in that way back in that ninth verse where God says, return to your mistress. And I go, gosh, why she got to return to her mistress? And the best I can do is that it's necessary to bring Ishmael into the world. And to do so, she needs to go back to the only place that will be able to nurse her into doing that. And so she does. But that's not the end of her story. In fact, it's not the end of her wilderness. The Bible doesn't abandon Hagar. It brings her back. And I don't mean in Paul's fourth chapter of Galatians. I mean... It brings her back in this story almost immediately. Chapter 21. At the point of chapter 21, Ishmael is about 14 years old, or at least probably in his early teens, because we've had a gap between the birth of Ishmael and the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac takes place in the first seven verses of Genesis 21. And then the text shifts in verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Literally, the Hebrew word, I, I don't, I, this, this kind of bugs me in the English. The word uses scoffing. It's almost as if the translator wants to put you on Sarah's side. Like Hagar sitting there making fun. But the Hebrew word is laughing. I mean, Sarah looks across at the party and sees Hagar laughing, and it infuriates Sarah that Hagar would be laughing. And what, what we did with that is we turned it into the word scoffing so that maybe Hagar's making fun. But once again, I'm not sure she gets the shake she should. So what happens out of this? Well, therefore she said to Abraham, cast this bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. She wants them cast out. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. In Isaac shall your seed be called. But I'm also going to make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he's your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water and he put it on her shoulder and he, get, he gave it. And the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered, look at this, into the wilderness of Beersheba. Another wilderness. Last time she went in, she was pregnant. Didn't even know she was pregnant until she encountered God. Now she goes in with a son. The water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down across from, her, from him at a distance about a bow shot. For she said to herself, don't let me see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Here we go, God questioning her again. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Rise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. I want to stop there. I just want to make sure we get the story. 
Hagar's been kicked out because she laughed at a party. Sarah doesn't want Hagar around anymore, so both Hagar and Ishmael are cast out into the wilderness, the wilderness of Beersheba. Has to feel pretty familiar to Hagar, who's been in a wilderness before. But remember what she learned the last time she was in the wilderness, which is God knows my name, God hears me, God sees me, and I see the one that sees me. And when she goes into the wilderness, she loses faith like a lot of us do, even though we've got the equipment that we need. And she feels like, well, the only thing I can do is sit here and watch this boy die. And this is where Hagar stands. Now, what happened to Hagar the first time in the wilderness, when she saw that God saw her and God heard her, I think equips Hagar, even though she doesn't know it. And I want to emphasize that right here. Whatever wilderness you've went through has equipped you for more than you know you're capable of. You have more ability in the next wilderness than you know because of the last wilderness. You might have forgotten it. You forgot what it felt like when you went through that before. But that strengthened you. You are better than you used to be. You have more than you think you have because you see the God that sees you. So look at verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink. He sees you. You see him. Now what? Now you see provision. She sees provision in a wilderness when she remembers the God who saw her. Listen, you don't have to get out of your darkness in order for God to see you. He sees you in the middle of it. You don't have to get out of your wilderness for God to hear you. He hears you in the middle of it. Whatever you learn in it, whatever situation you go through, it equips you for what you're going to go through next. And when you get to the next place, you have more than you realize. You have the strength, you have the skill, you have the wherewithal. Not because you read the right books or you did the right thing, but because of what you learned when you had your revelation of him the first time, it's the equipment you need in this moment now. And you can find the provision wherever you need it, even in the midst of your darkness. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Things are good when I'm a sheep and he's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green grass and he leads me beside still waters. And he anoints my head with oil. That keeps all the flies off of me. Life is good. I have a good shepherd. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All is well. Yea, though. Feel that turn? Yea, though. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't lead me there. He led me beside green grass. He led me beside still waters. He led me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. But yea, though, I walk into the valley of the shadow of death. Now what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff beat me half to death every day because I went down. No, no. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, listen to this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's your predators. You're in the valley where the predator hunts. In the presence of my predator, he puts food for me to eat. Who do you think that is in that valley if not Hagar? With a God that sees her and hears her and prepares a table before her right in the middle of the presence of her enemies. 
And you go, well, I don't want to think I'm Hagar. Well, then you need to go back and wrestle again because sometimes that's who we are, stuff beyond our control. And we wander into the valley of the shadow of death, and he's with us, and he prepares a table. Where? Right in front of us. Hagar's second trip into the wilderness, she was able to open her eyes and find a well because if God sees me and God hears me and I see the God that sees me, he surely didn't bring me in here to die. Or even if I wandered in here, he's not going to leave me in here to die because he gives me a well in the midst of my darkness. Could probably go around the room tonight and hear testimonies of your wilderness experience and how God did something great smack dab in the middle of it. And that's because that's the God that sees you. Doesn't wait for you to come out the other side. I'll tell you what, I'll see you and you can see me when you get it together and come out the other side. No. He's the God who sees me where I am. You know that old song we used to sing in church, Just As I Am? Well, the beauty of the phrase, just as I am, is that he sees me just as I am. <laughs> Whatever I am, he sees me and he hears me. I want you to know. I want you to know. I want whoever's listening to know. He sees you. Nobody else is paying attention to you. He's paying attention to you. And he's doing what needs done in the middle of where it needs done. Just see the God who sees you. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you again. Not enough words, Father, to thank you for these little things that you help me wrestle with and let me wrestle with, and I don't land on my feet on all of them, but it sure does feel good to at least feel like we make a connection once in a while with something that brings life, and I pray we've done that tonight. And if we have, then, Father, let that life just keep growing as they experience your love. What I really had on my heart today was that I could convince someone out there, either tonight in this room or weeks from now or months from now or years from now that watches or listens, who might be able to convince someone that doesn't think anyone cares that you see them. So with this viewing and this listening, would you call someone by name? Ask them the question they need to answer and convince them that you hear them and that you see them. Because I think if that happens in the middle of someone's darkest hour, they'll have the equipment to get through it, to learn something from it, and be ready for the next one. And Father, that's relationship. And I thank you for that in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen.